Good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. We have got a terrific show for you today, and we start with the province's vaccine passport set to kick in the next month. Now we're seeing a growing business backlash to the BC vaccine card. Some businesses and some business organizations, especially in the BC North and Interior, now calling for a delay in the vaccine passport. Let's discuss now with my guest, BC's Minister of Health, Adrian Dix, and I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Minister, thank you for taking the time. Hey, it's great to be on the show. Hey, Minister, I want to ask you about uh, some of the businesses that are publicly vowing now to defy you, and they say they will not enforce the BC vaccine card when it's rolled out next month. And it's not just individual businesses now, but we're starting to see some business organizations in some parts of the province now express concern about this. Let me play a short clip here for you and get your thoughts. This is Patricia Adamson from the Chamber of Commerce in Dawson Creek in conversation yesterday with Jazz Johal. Have a listen to this and then I'll get your thoughts. Well, if the province, man, uh, province continues to mandate it without, um, without considering other programs, uh, for our area, many of the businesses have said that um, they're just going to ignore it. They're going to, um, they're not going to enforce the um, uh, passport. Some of them are saying that if it's, if they're forced to, that this is just going to put them, um, it's going to be the straw that broke the camel's back, that they won't be able, they'll close their doors permanently. Okay, Minister, what do you say to that? I hear you've got a local chamber of commerce saying that a lot of businesses are just going to refuse to play along here with this vaccine card. Your thoughts? Well, I, I think it's interesting to note you're going to hear uh, Dr. Henry in modeling today. One of the things you're going to hear is that people who are unvaccinated are 12 times more likely to get COVID-19 34 times, 34, Mike, times more likely to be in hospital. These measures are designed to keep people safe and to build actually confidence in all of those people who might want to frequent such establishments. That's the purpose of the vaccine card. Now, there are alternatives to that. And the, the person who's on, Ms. Adamson, suggested they are. And those alternatives we've already seen, for example, in March, we didn't, we didn't allow in-person dining to anybody. But if, in fact, the risk is higher for everybody, if unvaccinated people do such social activities, then this is a practical, reasonable, temporary measure to ensure that people are safe and to address a pandemic and to keep business open. And that's why most business groups called for this. You'll remember this. Right. It seems like a long time ago, it was two weeks ago, when the major business groups in the province we're advocating for just this kind of proposal. And we're going to work through the details with everybody. Change, uh, it will be a change and it will be different and challenging for people. And we're working hard as well in Dawson Creek, I would say, to increase vaccination rates. We've done an unbelievable effort under Northern Health to keep trying to drive uh, vaccination rates up in Dawson Creek. It's, a, it's more of a challenge there, it should be said, because, of course, vaccination rates are in the high 50s in Dawson Creek, and right. overall in the province, they're about uh, they're more than 84 percent. Well, that's so the concern. I think, I think that's a significant difference. But right. look, this is a matter of uh, health and safety. And if you're talking about broadly these industries, whether the restaurant industry, health and safety measures that have had to be effectively enforced, both by bylaw officers and occasionally by others, such as smoking regulations in the past. Well, this is the concern. doom and gloom about those, and yet yeah. we've, we've worked our way through those because it builds confidence in health 
in those places, and that's what we're trying to do. This is the concern, Minister, though, when you've got a town like Dawson Creek where half of the town is unvaccinated, and now you're telling the local businesses that half of, basically half of the town cannot enter into the, come and have a hamburger at the local restaurant. This is why they're asking for a delay. So what is your message to them? Are you saying there'll be no delay? This is coming in on schedule, correct? It's coming in on schedule, that, right. that it's going to apply everywhere in the province that 84.2% of people as of yesterday, it's higher today, are vaccinated in BC. And this is a really great chance to get vaccinated. And the good news is that we saw a very large increase in first dose vaccination last week. I think it more than doubled on the previous week. And the where it went up highest was in Northern Health and Interior Health. So this has another benefit, has had another benefit, which is to increase vaccination rates as well. And obviously we're very positive about that. But we're going to work with people. We understand that this is not desirable. We're in a pandemic. And this is the alternative we had. You talk about people not being able to go. Well, we've been in periods, as everybody knows, where we've had Canucks games with no one in the crowd, right? We've had WHL games with no one in the stands. We've had uh, restaurants who haven't had in-restaurant dining. And this is an alternative to that kind of approach. And I think it's the right approach. And it's in general what the business community has asked we, for. And we're going to we, work through with them on the problems. We've heard a lot of uh, concerns around how this will be enforced. And I want to play a short clip here for you from Premier John Horgan that got a lot of attention uh, when he was asked, how will, how will this be enforced if there's problems or a confrontation in a restaurant? And here's what the Premier had to say. With respect to enforcement, it's not unlike uh, with respect to uh, nightclubs or the hospitality sector, if they have difficulty with patrons, uh, they call law enforcement. And that's uh, what I would expect would happen with respect to the vaccination card as well. Okay, call law enforcement if there's trouble. I spoke yesterday, Minister, to Tom Stamatakis from the Canadian Police Association, who was concerned about that. He said there was no consultation with the cops on this, that they'll be required to enforce this vaccine card. He expressed concerns on the show yesterday. Let me play his thoughts for you, and then I'll get your reaction. Tom Stamatakis here yesterday. You know, raising expectations that the police may not be able to meet because of resource issues. Uh, it, you know, these decisions are often politicized because, you know, an opposing party or, or uh, elected official will see it as an opportunity to criticize the government. And it just puts the police in this difficult position, particularly during COVID, which we've seen over and over again, where we end up being in the middle between these public policy decisions and the public. Okay, what do you say to him and the, and the concerns from police? I would say this, that remember, we've gone through some of this debate, you and I have gone through some of this debate when we've discussed mask mandates and so on. And I think in general, people working in those uh, in grocery stores and others like mask mandate because they bring about clarity. It's the force of a public health order, which is the law effectively, um, which uh, which ensures that people act in a different way. And when I go to a grocery store today, everybody's wearing a mask. Those people who like mask mandates and those people who don't like mask mandates are wearing them in the stores. There are occasionally, of course, those who disagree. And so there, these laws will be enforced as all health orders. By the police? By, by who will by enforce it? By environmental health officers and by public health, because they're public health officers, sometimes by bylaw enforcement, and sometimes should it be necessary by the police. And that's that's the way it is with every rule and every regulation that we talk about that keeps people safe. This isn't, again, uh, the, the most desirable thing to do. We're in a worldwide pandemic. You're 34 times as likely to be in a hospital if you look at it in an age-adjusted way if you're not vaccinated. 
And this is a way to build confidence, I'd argue, in business and to keep us able to do the things that we all want to do, which are included on that list from exercising to going to events to going to arts events to going to restaurants in a time of pandemic when we have the Delta variant that's highly transmissible. So this is kind of a reasonable, it's a pretty reasonable approach uh, to um, a very serious problem. And I think uh, people overwhelmingly support it. We're going to work our way through the problems and uh, we'll present the detail of it because there are important considerations. You talked to Mr. McAvoy yesterday, there are privacy and other considerations. We want to make sure we get it right. And then we're going to work with business to see that, um, that it works well for everybody. And that's, that's I think, uh, the best way to go is to work together and to try and bring people together in difficult times. Minister, I know you have a busy day. Thank you for taking the time today. Hey, right on. Anytime. Take care. All right. Welcome back to the show. Let's focus on the federal election campaign now. Justin Trudeau rolled the dice here on a snap summer election call. The pandemic be damned. He was going for it. He had his eye on that majority government. The polls looked great for him at the start. This looked like a glorious opportunity for Trudeau here to strike while the iron was hot. Win that big majority. Well, the iron ain't so hot anymore. The polls have soured here for the federal liberals. Trudeau is in trouble. Let's discuss now with my guest, one of Canada's best pollsters and political analyst, Shachi Curl, president of the Angus Reid Institute. And I'm pleased to welcome her back. Shachi, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Mike. Okay, Shachi, I follow you on Twitter, which I encourage everyone to do. This is a fascinating new survey that you've just done looking at this uh, political landscape here. And you wrote on Twitter yesterday, the data is showing us this has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad start to the campaign for the incumbent. Trudeau's personal popularity is plummeting. Okay, Shachi, tell me how you really feel now. What is going on? It's not, it, it's not, it's not <laughs> how I feel, Mike. It's the data, right. right? So it's it's all rooted in data. There's a couple of really key data points that we're seeing from the polling that tells us and shows us that this has not been a good start to the campaign. First no. of all, um, momentum is not on his side. So Justin Trudeau, I have always said, and, and again, the data show us, he is alternatively the Liberal Party's best asset and at times its worst liability. And at the moment, it's looking more like the latter. Um, his momentum numbers are declining at a time where Aaron O'Toole's are surging. So that's, that's a really big thing. And when we talk about momentum, what we're talking about is the number of people who are taking a look at a leader and whether their, their opinion of that leader has improved or worsened recently. And week after week, we're seeing that opinions of Aaron O'Toole among Canadians are improving more than worsening, and we're seeing the reverse effect for Trudeau. He, uh, Trudeau, the Liberal leader, is now uh, the least approved of or least favorably seen uh, major party leader in the country. 41%, so uh, think about that, Mike, that's two in five. Five people you know, two people uh, really view him very unfavorably, and another third person just views him unfavorably. This is the guy who was the rock star of the 2015 yeah. campaign. And right. yes, he still has a solid base, and yes, he can draw crowds. 
So let's let's not let's not suggest that he's reaching Stephen Harper level unpopularity or Brian Mulroney level unpopularity just yet. But the tide has turned. It is yeah. shifting. Now in a campaign, it could always shift back. This might actually be the moment where the party and the campaign says we gotta pivot and the liberal base gets fired up. But right now, in the first two, two and a half weeks, We've seen a, a tale of two leaders. One is on the upswing. One has been declining. Okay, I think you're right on with your analysis there. And it'll be interesting to see what happens when Trudeau actually brings out the official liberal election platform, if maybe that can change the momentum right now. But let me play a short clip here for you, Shachi, of the conservative leader Aaron O'Toole. He was on the show here with me yesterday, and here's what he had to say, and then I'll get your thoughts. I do see a fatigue with, with Justin Trudeau out there, you know, and, and in all parts of the country. People are kind of tired of of someone that says one thing, does the other, uh, always puts himself first, and even calling the election, as you said, at a time when the fourth wave was here, the fires in B.C., the chaos in Afghanistan. People are upset about that as well. So they're open to a message of change. And what I'm talking about is our Canada's recovery plan and our positive campaign to get the country back on track. And, and we're getting some traction, but we got a lot of work to do. Okay, as Aaron O'Toole on the show yesterday. Now, Shachi, of course, what else is the guy going to say? Of course, he's going to say people are tired of Trudeau and they want to change. He would say that no matter what the polls say. But when you take a look at the survey, the very detailed survey that you've done at the Angus Reid Institute, man, oh, man, I mean, Trudeau's in trouble here, it seems like, across the board, right? When you look at, you know, can you break this down demographically for me? And where is he hurting here? Yeah, the, the one the one troubling trend for Justin Trudeau, he lost male voters a long time ago. You can make the case he never really had them, but he had some of them for a little while. He certainly had some of them, enough of them in 2015 for that majority. He lost a lot of them in 2019, but he's always had women. He's always had, how do I put that? He's always had female voters. He's always sure. had support from members of the, the, the women electorate. So right. um, now younger women uh, and younger men both kind of defected off to, to Jagmeet Singh and the NDP a couple years ago. But among um, women 35 plus over the age of 35, they've more or less stuck with the liberals and Justin Trudeau over time. So that's the mom generation, the sandwich generation, and also the baby boomer generation. They've these are the people who are worried about cost of living, about child care, about uh, health care, big, big on health care, long-term care. These are the issues for them. And, of course, climate issues and then social values issues. And they took a look at Andrew Scheer two years ago and said, not that guy. Uh, now they're taking a look at, at Aaron O'Toole, and they're starting to uh, just show a softening or a deterioration in their support for, for Justin Trudeau. So in terms of favorability and momentum, uh, Aaron O'Toole is way up among that female de- demographic and, and either holding or starting to decline uh, for Trudeau uh, among that demographic. That could spell real trouble. If Justin Trudeau cannot hold um, uh, female voters in this campaign, he's going to be... Uh, in in a pretty tough spot. But I will say this, Mike, I I think it's really important that it's as we start to see data that really puts Aaron O'Toole out there as a potential front runner, uh, you know, our data yesterday showing a slight lead for the conservatives now, um, the scrutiny on Aaron O'Toole is going to intensify. People are not just going to take the first look at him. 
and say they like what they see. But now they're going to take a second and a third look. They're going to start checking under the hood and kicking the tires. I think you're going to start to see the tone and the tenor of coverage around the Conservative campaign change a little bit. Because now it's not just, hey, here's this new Conservative leader. But it's, hey, here's this potential new Prime Minister. And that's a whole other stress test. I think that's a great point. I think uh, rightly so, that there should be more scrutiny of the conservative leader, especially now that he's leading in the polls 33% in your survey, Shachi, uh, the Liberals three points behind at 30%. I think Jugmeet Singh, the NDP leader, is an interesting wild card here in this election. And I'll play a short clip here for you from the NDP leader uh, speaking this morning to Simi Sarah and get your thoughts. So here's Jugmeet Singh this morning. Canadians are going to choose who the prime minister is. I'm running to become prime minister because I know I can make life better for people. I know I can fix the problems that I hear about every day. I hear people tell me I'm, I'm worried about having to leave my community where I grew up, where I have my friends, because I can't afford to find a home that's in my budget. Renting is difficult. Buying a home is out of my imagination. That's what people tell me. And I want to fix that. And I know that people need that help and I'm going to deliver it. Okay, Jugmeet Singh speaking this morning to Simi Sarah, and he's playing coy about whether the, if the Conservatives were to form a minority government, would he support a cons- the Conservatives in power? But, you know, I don't know, I'm getting a little deja vu with Singh here, because I remember in the last election, uh, he got a lot, he, he seemed to be on a roll too, and then seemed to have a, you know, come up a decline a little bit in the fall, in the dying stages of the campaign. But what's your analysis of the NDP here right now? Look, uh, the analysis is thus. We are now into a third election cycle where the defining question in terms of who prevails in this campaign really speaks to uh, where does the left of centre vote land? Does it land with the NDP or does it land with the Liberals? In 2015, the question was, would it be Tom Mulcair or would it be Justin Trudeau? In the last election, it was, would it be Justin Trudeau or Jagmeet Singh? And that is exactly the question again. And you will have left-of-center voters who are perhaps not particularly enamored of Justin Trudeau. As Erin O'Toole said, maybe feeling a bit of fatigue. As our data shows, people are starting to turn off, not view him very favorably. But they will have to weigh that if they're on the left of the political spectrum with the prospects of uh, a conservative government. And can Aaron O'Toole convince those people that, hey, maybe I'm not, you know, maybe a conservative government isn't isn't such a scary prospect after all, which is very scary for left of center voters. Uh, and then they will make a choice. Do they vote their heart and their gut, which is the NDP, or do they vote strategically? Do they vote their brain and vote liberal? And that's that's the big question we're going to see. Jagmeet Singh has been on the losing end of that in 2019. Let's see where he lands in 2021. Okay, Shachi, last last question for you. When you take a look at the data and you break it down on a regional basis, I think this is where the 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 crunch really comes in here. When you take a look at what's going on in battleground parts of the country, notably Ontario, Quebec, is Trudeau and the Liberals are they still leading there? Uh, it's become a much much tighter race, and our own numbers showed BC was a three way horse race a couple weeks ago. It's now becoming a two-way horse race with the Liberals losing ground. That's not to say that the Liberals can't gain that ground back. That's not to say that you're going to have what I would call 10-second Liberal voters, where maybe they want to vote for another party, but they're going to cast a ballot uh, to block another party from forming government. Uh, and, you know, B.C., really interestingly, it all came down to B.C., in, yes. in 2019, uh, we ended up uh, being the decision maker rather than the afterthought 
could be the same way again. Okay, great, Paul. Shachi, thank you for coming on to talk about it today. My pleasure. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's keep talking about the BC vaccine passport now coming next month. Proof of vaccination will be required to enter a restaurant, pub, movie theater, sporting event, concert, even weddings and birthday parties. It's all to stop the spread of the Delta variant. It takes effect less than two weeks from now. Now, think about this. Is this vaccine passport fair to everyone? What about people who can't take the vaccine if they have a rare medical condition what about people who don't have a cell phone and they won't have that app on their phone that they will that will show their vaccination status what about people who are homeless we're already marginalized in our society could this have a disproportionate impact on that community so many questions about how this program will work Let's discuss now with my guest, Grant McKenzie. He's the communications director at Our Place in Victoria. They do great work for the poor and homeless of the capital city. And I'm pleased to welcome him back. Grant, thank you for coming on today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, Grant, when we think about this uh, vaccine card that's coming into effect next week or in less than two weeks from now, what are you hearing from the people you work with and that you help, the, the homeless people on the street? Will this affect them, do you think, and how will, how will it affect that population? Yeah, I mean, it's certainly going to provide um, extra challenges to their day, especially when the weather starts to change and the rains come. You know, for so many of the street community, going into a place like Tim Hortons or McDonald's is not just a place where they can get a hot coffee, but it's also a place where they get a little bit of respite from the weather, where they can get inside. So without that vaccine passport, they wouldn't be able to access those places. And for facilities such as our place, which is a community drop-in centre, we are at half capacity because of COVID, so we can't have everybody coming in all at once. Yeah, would would our place, would you guys be required to ask for the vaccine card? Are you guys included uh, we, there? Uh, we wouldn't have to ask for it because we're an essential service because okay. we provide you know, over a thousand meals a day to people. So we wouldn't be asked. But at the same time, we can't have in the past, pre-COVID, we could probably have you know upwards of several hundred people in the building at one time. But during COVID, we, of course, are limited to, I think, 100 maximum. Right. Do a lot of the people who are on the street right now do a lot of them carry id do they have do they typically have cell phones i mean we're told that the way that this vaccine card will work it will typically work on a smartphone you'll have some sort of like a barcode on your phone that you can flash when you go into a restaurant i mean for people who are living on the street do they i i imagine most people don't don't even have a cell phone you what you tell me yeah, they, they, well, they certainly don't have, have smartphones. I mean, a lot, a lot of people have uh, burner phones where they're just paying for calls and texts. They don't have any data plans, so they don't yeah. have any apps. Right. Um, so they would really need something that's more physical, uh, a physical card. But even then, um, replacing ID is probably one of the top things we do outside of you know meals and showers and stuff like that. But getting people's ID replaced is, is a huge part of uh, what the outreach do. We have a storage place where we have uh, about 100 bins that people can store their stuff, and we try and recommend that people keep their valuables, such as their ID, in those bins. 
Um, so that would be a pain as well for them to have to go in every day that they plan to go to Tim Hortons or wherever to get their ID out of there. Right. Can you see a situation where, you know, you got a homeless person who want, like you said, when the weather gets cold and the rains return, they want to get inside somewhere that's warm. So they want to get a cup of coffee or something. And now they're required to show that I, that vaccine card. If they don't have the vaccine card, what happens then? I mean, do you think, do you think most businesses will say, well, you know, just show some compassion and say, it's okay, you can come in, but they'll be required to follow the law. Would they not and refuse to let them in? They would. Yeah. The, the, all the, all the restaurant stuff would be required to, to follow the law. And, um, I think, I mean, there's there's obviously places that are receptive and compassionate to the, the street population, and then there are the restaurants that don't want anything to do with them. So right. um, obviously the, the restaurants that don't want anything to do with, with um, the street population will probably use this as a way to further exclude them from the properties. Yeah, do you sort of see it as uh, potential for confrontations and problems? Um, there always is. I mean, we... We, I mean, in the downtown area, we already face this with, um, you know, restaurants that don't want, you know, people coming in and using their washrooms unless they're a customer. Um, you know, so there's already that kind of setup. So I could see some of the restaurants, um, just like when COVID was originally at its peak, you know, shutting indoor dining just to try and avoid those problems. Speaking to Grant McKenzie from Our Place, they're an outreach center for the homeless in Victoria, talking about the vaccine passport set to kick in here in less than two weeks in the province. Now, we still don't have a lot of clear answers about how this is going to work for sort of marginalized populations like people living on the street. And we heard the the health minister the other day say, well, we're working on that for people who don't have a cell phone, for example, we're going to come up with something. We're going to come up with an alternative. What have you heard, Grant, from your perspective as kind of a street-level guy helping people? Like, what kind of what kind of system will be set up for people who are living on the street? I mean, will they be provided with a with a paper card they can carry around or something? Yeah, it's uh, it isn't clear yet, but I mean, yeah. we're we're certainly um, starting to talk to our local MLAs and and talking about the idea of a laminated card and. You know, I mean, this may even be a good advertising opportunity. You know, the NDP could have lanyards or something with a laminated card on it. Um, so we need to come up with a, with a solution. So we're, at, we're, we're actively talking to the government to, to find out, you know, what their plan is and how we can help um, get the appropriate cards to people. Do people know this is coming for the homeless population? Have they heard that this vaccine card is coming and it will be required? They've, um, for the most part, they've kind of heard heard rumblings. A lot of times, they're not watching uh, watching the news on TV or listening to it on the radio. Yeah. Um, but but it, you know the the street population has a very good communication system, so things quickly quickly go by. I mean, there's obviously um, a percentage of people who are um, against masks, so they would also be against the cards, and and they would just be further further marginalised. But there are quite yeah. a few people that are now double vaccinated on the streets. And who would be interested in the card? So, you know, all we can do is address their concerns the best you, possible way. Do you have any idea of the vaccination rate for homeless people? It is very difficult. I mean, what we did is we've done pop-up clinics. We actually had one yesterday, right, at, at our Pandora location. And we've been doing pop-up clinics at all of the housing sites that we operate to try and get people 
um, vaccinated. We've we'll certainly found that when people are housed, so they're much more stable, they're out of that survival mode, you know, they'll get a, a nice safe room, they'll get good meals, then they're more likely to get vaccinated, um, whereas the street population um, tend to run a lot on uh, rumour and myth, and so they're less reluctant to be vaccinated. Okay, Grant, we'll see how this goes here in the weeks ahead. Thanks for coming on with your thoughts on it, and th- thanks for the work that you do. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Mike.